I'm going to continue with a series that Andre started two weeks ago. Most of you would, would know what this is all about if you've been around the last two weeks. He's busy with a, with a series which we call King, Kingdom Culture. And I must say, I, I am amazed myself, you know, when I, when I go through the Gospels again, how many times Jesus said the kingdom of God is like. <laughs> the kingdom of God is like. And then he, he tells a story or he, he illustrates something because, like Andre explained, Jesus did not come to establish a religion. It wasn't just another set of rules or a, a nice idea. He came to establish a kingdom. So he had to do everything to make people understand what this kingdom is all about because for them it was foreign. So this is why I told so many stories and said the kingdom of God is like. And then he tells the following story. So Andre and I often ask one another, so how's your internal kingdom doing? How's your internal kingdom doing? So let, let me explain what we mean by that. In Luke 17, it's a scripture Andre used as well. It was people, um, it was a situation where people wanted to know from Jesus, so what is this kingdom like, and when will we see it? And they were expecting something completely different to what Jesus was, was wanting to, to explain to them. So now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, because they were still waiting, they were, they were waiting for something that was different to what Jesus had to bring. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God has not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Okay, we, we, we've learned that now, hey? The kingdom of God isn't there or there. It's, the kingdom of God is actually within us. So let me show you another scripture, Romans 14 verse 17. It says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but... How many of you know this one? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it, it is righteousness, peace, and joy. So there's three components of the kingdom that Jesus was trying to explain to them. So if the kingdom of God is within us, and if the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, what does that mean? The kingdom of God within us. These, there are three components, righteousness, peace, and joy. So the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy within us. It's, it's not about what's happening out there. It's all about what's happening inside of us. So you would, for those of you who were here last week, you would, you would have seen that little circle that Andre did. You know, when, whenever there is opposition, this is what our, our Christian life represents. We, we have a momentum. So in that circle, you can now put... Righteousness, peace, and joy. Okay? So, if our righteousness, peace, and joy levels aren't strong, we are vulnerable. Okay? If our, if our righteousness, which means our right standing with God, I'll explain that now. If our righteousness is being attacked, we don't have boldness. If our joy is being attacked, we don't have strength. And if our peace is being attacked, we don't have authority. Okay, so if our, our, the levels of these three things inside of us aren't strong, there will be opposition. And instead, remember, we, we started off with the with big arrows, the big blue ones. If it's not strong, it will actually, we will be intimidated by life. We will be intimidated by whatever 
is coming against us. But the opposite is true. If our internal kingdom is going strong like that, we can overcome anything. It's not really about the perfect circumstances or the perfect situation or everybody living in peace with us or us overcoming all the time. It's all about are we overcoming inside of us. Yeah, that's all that this is about. So the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the inside of us. So I want to ask you this morning, how is your internal kingdom doing? How's your peace levels? How's your righteousness levels? And how's your joy levels? Because if those three things are going strong, you, you've built yourself a fortress. You've, you've built yourself a kingdom inside of you that cannot be shaken by anything that comes against you. So I would love to, to unpack it a little bit for you this morning and just to break down uh, what is righteousness, what is peace, what is joy. How do we practically build our internal kingdom so that we can be unshaken, immovable, that, that we can face anything and not only be okay, but flourish. Amen? So are you ready for that? I'm just going to pray for us and just ask that God will highlight whatever we need to understand this morning. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have come to show us the kingdom, to demonstrate us the kingdom of God. And I pray this morning, Father, that you will highlight, Holy Spirit, that you will come and for each one of us highlight the area in our lives, God, where we feel vulnerable and that you will show us, God, how we can build, how we can strengthen that part of our kingdom so that we can become unshakable in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's redemption. Do you know any others? Propitiation. I don't even know how to pronounce that. Okay. Righteousness is a little bit easier than those ones. But it's connected to that group of, you know, words. It's like righteousness. What does it really mean? It's actually very, very simple. Righteousness just means we are in right standing with God. It can never be achieved by being a good person, by doing good works. It can never be achieved by living according to a code of ethics. It can never be achieved by perfection even, you know. It can only achieve we, we can only achieve that by faith in God alone. You know, it's the state where, where God looks at us through the blood of Jesus and he sees us blameless. He sees us holy. He, he, he looks at us and sees us as saints and not as sinners. It's only because of what Jesus has done for us. We can't work for it. We earn it, but that is the beauty of righteousness. You see, if... If we, we are in right standing with God, we have access to all the resources of God's kingdom. You have access. You like you royalty. You're living in the palace. You have access to all the resources of God's kingdom. And the devil hates that. He hates that because he will do anything to break your connection with a king. He will do anything to take away that feeling of royalty. I'm calling it a feeling, but it's, it's far more than a feeling. It's that, that conviction, that knowing that I am royalty. I live in the palace. 
My daddy is the king. It's something that comes from a, from a faith in God, not from, I read my Bible yesterday morning. It's something that God gives us through the cross and the, the blood of Jesus. But the devil, will do, the biggest enemies of our righteousness is condemnation. I mean, he's the accuser and he will do anything to point out your shortcomings, your faults, your weaknesses. He will do anything to point the finger at you. And he does it by just planting thoughts in our heads. But even if we do things right, the accuser will say, it's not good enough. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, you, you give it your all for God, and then you, you have this, you know, suspicion that it's not good enough. That suspicion or feeling or thought is not the Holy Spirit. It is the accuser coming against your righteousness, coming against one-third of your internal kingdom. And if he can even just destroy one-third or attack one-third of your internal kingdom, you are vulnerable. So it, it, is, it is unbelievable how the devil will come and attack our righteousness. You know, he will even make you feel guilty for being sick or taking medication. You know this one? You know, because where's your faith? You know, you know that those thoughts, it's not God. It is not the Holy Spirit. You know, when, when we are sick, we do everything. Doctors are from God, but we also pray. We do everything in the natural and in the spiritual to pursue our healing. There's nothing wrong with doctors or taking medication. And, but, but often we feel so condemned because where's your faith? You know, that is not God speaking to you. I want to show you a picture. I want to show you a picture of condemnation where many people believe, and I, I can really I can um, relate to that where they say condemnation is actually the deepest root of many things that, that we see on the surface, like sickness, financial lack, destructive habits. It's actually even a deeper root than fear. And it makes so much sense to me because if our righteousness is being attacked, if our, our connection with the king is being attacked, God, we, we have access to all the resources of, uh, resources of the kingdom, but we don't make use of it because we feel guilty. We feel ashamed. We feel condemned. We run away from God instead of running towards him, which means our source is being cut off. Does that make sense? Which means condemnation is a very, very clever way of the devil to disconnect us from God. How do you know if this is the Holy Spirit convicting you or the devil condemning you? Because it's, it's often a bit confusing. Condemnation makes you feel disconnected from God. In other words, you, you have no boldness to go to the king. You want to run away. You want to hide. You, you want, oh, God is cross. He's angry. You want to run away from him. That is condemnation. The other thing, how you, how you identified is you, feel, you become extremely self-focused. So instead of focusing on God... You focus on yourself. I'm such a bad Christian. I'm, I, I'm so unworthy. I'm so pathetic. I'm, I, I am, I am, I am, instead of saying, but God has paid the price for all of these things. So we disconnect from God. We become extremely self-focused. And there the devil has just destroyed one-third of our internal kingdom, and we are vulnerable. Now, I remember seven and a half years ago when I started working with my husband, I, I really wanted to impress him. 
I was, I was uh, you know, desperate to prove that he's made the right decision to appoint me as his, you know, assistant. And one of my first tasks was to organize a mission team from Cape Town. They were going to present Encounter 3 at, at our church. And I organized the whole thing. I was fairly confident, you know, that I can do this. And then on the Thursday, they were going to uh, sleep over at my family's house, at my parents' house in Mossel Bay. That I organized that, of course. I mean, I know how to organize. And, uh, and then the Friday, they would come through and... Uh, do the encounter three years. Now, on the Thursday night, Andre was speaking to the mission team leader of the phone, and I hear that they're talking about, yeah, they're on their way, and everything's going well, and I, you know, that cold feeling of something, you know, hit you. That I, something told me, which was God, he helped me out, but I didn't see it in that moment. I I realized, or I had this thought that I told my mom, they're not coming the Thursday, but the Friday. <sighs> okay, now I got cold. Okay, Andre is fully unaware of my panic, state of panic. He's chatting on the phone. I phoned my mom. I said, Mommy, what did I say? She said, you told me they're coming tomorrow. I'm in my pajamas. And it's, it's I, mean, my, I can hear my mom. It's stressing out of her mind. And, I mean, it was already a big thing to ask them because they would have left Stellenbosch or Cape Town late. They would have arrived 11, 12-ish at my parents' home, which is a big, big ask if they are prepared. And now they're not prepared. There's no food. There's no beds made. My mom's in her pajamas. And I feel horrible. I feel, I've so badly wanted to impress my husband, you know, that, I mean, I've, I've organized many things in my life. It's really not difficult for me, and I've messed this up completely. I've messed it up, you know, I, and when I told my husband that everything else is organized, don't worry, he looked at me and he said, he's not so sure about this anymore, <laughs> you know. And, and condemnation came for me like... <laughs> Like something that was overwhelming me in that moment, you know. I, a condemnation told me that your husband thinks you are useless. And he's really regretful that he appointed you. And you can't, you can't even get this right. And I felt so condemned because I said to myself, I should have checked. I should have double-checked. I should have double-double-checked, you know, that feeling. And I, I couldn't sleep. I felt like... A failure. It's like, it's an honest mistake, but you all know what I'm talking about. You feel like the worst person on this planet, especially if you were trying to impress, if you were trying your best to do good. And it was just coming for me in that moment. And the word of God says something that is so contrary to these feelings. In Romans 8 verse 1, it says, so now there is no condemnation. For those who belong to Christ Jesus. It doesn't make sense because we so badly want to perform and work and do things right and never make a mistake. We so badly want to live in that place where we just always do things right. And when we don't, this is when the scripture must be living and alive in our, in our hearts. It must be like a banner in our internal kingdom where it says, for there's no condemnation. For those who, who belong to Jesus, God is bigger than our mistakes, our faults, our weaknesses. You see, we, we don't have it in us to never mess up. We actually don't have it in us. So it's okay. You know, and even, <clears throat> even in that moment, 
that night, God said to me, but Sonica, I reminded you that was the Holy Spirit. I mean, imagine the people rocking up there at 12 o'clock, my parents fast asleep. I mean, that would have been a disaster. But phoning her at 8, it was stressful for them, but it was okay. So God was so faithful. So the more God was telling me, Sonica, it's okay. We've sorted this out. It's, it's, it's okay. And the, 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 the worse I felt, because in that moment I couldn't believe that there's no condemnation. This is why this must be a banner in our internal kingdom, that there is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we need to know that. And I really felt that if some of you, you're battling with things in your personal life, and it brings shame, it brings fear, it brings condemnation, and you're scared to death to speak to somebody in the church because they might reject you. It's a lie. Great. Things that we've done that we regret, that we wish we did differently. Church is a safe place. So I want to encourage you. One of, the, one of the keys to break free from condemnation is to bring it in the light. Speak to somebody and then I can almost guarantee you that they might have a worse story than yours. <laughs> you break free by actually just sharing your story. Bring it into the light. You need to speak to somebody. You need to forgive yourself. Let's talk about peace. The other third of our kingdom. You see, the, the world says peace is the absence of conflict. It is beautiful surroundings or your, your dream car or husband or dream holiday or your, you know, it, 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 it tells you the word, the word, the world tells us that peace is found in certain things, in retirement or in money. But let me read your scripture in John 14. In the New Living Translation, it says, Jesus speaking, I am leaving you with a gift. The peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. You know, there's, there's peace and then there's the right kind of peace. There's peace that looks like peace and then there's peace that is the real thing. This is what God gives us. The world cannot give it to us. The world cannot give it to us. See, so how do we protect the gift of peace inside our kingdom? God says, I'm leaving you with a gift, a gift of peace. How do we protect? As soon as we find this peace, how do we protect it? I'm so blessed by the word that has come out this morning because I really felt, you know, at the word that has come that the walls have been, the, there's, there's, there's a war against our kingdom, in a sense, and the wall's been broken down, and that the word of God is one of our keys. Because to, to protect our kingdom, the word of God must be living and powerful inside of us. There must be something that, that can help us in a moment. I remember when my son was, and then he said, no, 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 Vian must go to the hospital immediately. And apart from that, we must immediately take x-rays of his back and his spine because he's very worried about the development of his spine. And I just saw visions of my child never walking. You know, in that moment, it's not a specialist. It's a pediatrician. And I, I, I literally felt my peace being attacked, almost like a cloud, you know, coming over me. I felt it sitting on me, darkness sitting on me, fear gripping my heart. And then I heard that scripture, be anxious for nothing. It was, it was almost kind of cutting through this darkness. If it makes sense to you, it was this fear coming over me. This is a specialist. Surely, if he's worried, I must be worried. Surely he knows what he's talking about, God. 
this be anxious for nothing scripture? Does this apply in this situation? And God said to me, yes. Even if you get a diagnosis from a doctor or a specialist that, that gives you something, the word of God still says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. It literally cut through that fear. The rest of the scripture goes, but in everything, by prayer, by supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So it doesn't make sense, okay, because the facts are the same. It doesn't make sense to have peace in the, in the midst of something where, you know, there's just war against your internal kingdom. But then the word of God cuts through. It's, it's powerful. It's like a, it's, it's, it's sharper than a double-edged sword, and it cuts through soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It literally cuts through every argument, every diagnosis, everything that is so overwhelming that we lose our peace. And I just realized if I didn't know that scripture in that moment, it would have overwhelmed me. You know, and the end result was just pediatrician, which I appreciate, but I had to learn to, in those moments, especially if it comes to family and your children, to look to God and to trust that even, even when there's people who know a lot, we need to actually be able to look to God, look to his word, and let that cut through that darkness and that fear that coming for us. Okay, we need to protect the peace in our internal kingdom. Something else that's so important if we want to protect our peace, Matthew 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, peace came at a great cost to Jesus. Did, did you realize that? Peace came at a great cost to Jesus. He actually gave his life so that we can have peace. You know, there's a scripture that actually talks about where, where, where Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword, peace. So peace isn't just something that, that comes easily. There's a war for our peace. And peacekeeping will never bring peace. Peacekeeping will feel like peace. But it's, you remember I said there's a peace that looked like peace and then it's the real peace. Peacekeeping will give you that peace that looked like peace, but it's not peace. Peacemaking will give you that something that looks like war, but it will lead to real peace. And I really felt that some of us have some peacemaking to do. Some of us have some peacemaking to do because sweeping things under the carpet will not bring peace. There's war in your internal kingdom. Because you avoid conflicts. There's a war in your internal conflict because, in your internal kingdom, because you avoid conflict and then one day you explode. I don't know if, if I'm talking to anybody here this morning, but I also don't like conflict. I had to learn, especially in my marriage, I had to learn to speak, to do that. Andre is good at that. I learned from him, you know, to speak, to voice my, what's going on inside of me. You know, but, but if, if we are terrified to offend somebody, if we're terrified to hurt and offend somebody, there's going to be a war in your internal kingdom because you will avoid conflicts. Where 
I'm not saying we should look for conflict, okay? For those of you in that mode, okay? <laughs> Some of you don't have a problem with conflict, okay? You need, to, you need to work on the other side. You need to, you know, wait a little bit before you address the issue. <laughs> but for the rest of us who avoid conflict and who don't want to address things and who are afraid to offend people, we need to learn to address it in a godly way because eventually it will lead to peace. Jesus wasn't afraid to address things. Sometimes I read it and I think, sure, Jesus, this is hectic, the way you now speak to the Pharisee. But he was fighting for a kingdom that looked differently to what the world thought. So if there's war in your internal kingdom because you avoid conflict, you need to learn to address things in a godly way because it will lead to peace. Amen? Peacemaking. Peacemaking, not peacekeeping. Let's look at joy. You know, the world says joy is found in fun and pleasure in the moment. Now, everything must happen in the moment, but joy isn't happiness. We all know that, eh? There's, there's joy and then there's happiness. Happiness is I'm happy now. But tomorrow, if I, if I hit my toe or I lose my keys or my, I, I drop my cell phone and the, the screen is broken, I'm not happy anymore. Okay. Happiness is, you know, I see it in my son's life. Happiness coming and going, you know. He is a bundle of joy. And a bundle of life, but his life often goes like this. You know, it's, it's interesting. Many best day. Okay. He's got many worst days. Let me rather put it like, like many worst and many best days of his life. This is the best day of my life. Oh, it's the worst day of my life. <laughs> it literally goes like that often. So I, I, I see happiness. This is, it's happiness. Oh, we're going to watch a movie. Oh, it's the best of my life. Thank you, mommy. Thank you. Mm, I'm so bored. I've got nothing to do. It's the worst of my life. <laughs> you know, it's just, it is just incredible. This is happiness. It's happiness. It's not joy. What is joy? Joy is something that stays with you regardless of your circumstances. It's, again, like peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense because how can you be joyful if you're going through a, a valley of the shadow of death, how can you be joyful? This joy is found in, in God. It's found in a relationship with him. It cannot be explained. But I must say, when I, when I look to people being joyful in difficult circumstances, I see something of God so strongly through them because I know this is not them. It's not possible in our own strength. And what are the most effective way to protect your joy? So remember, our internal kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. We first need to find those three things by entering into this kingdom. Okay, there's a kingdom of darkness, there's a kingdom of light. We need to move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light to find righteousness, peace, and joy. Once we've found it, we need to protect it. Okay, because this determines the momentum we have to face trials, to face tribulations, to stand strong in the midst of opposition. Those three things are key. So one of the most effective ways to protect our joy is to develop an eternal perspective. Okay, it's probably not what you want to hear for now, but it's one of the most effective. I in the scripture a little bit just to 
to highlight the, the most important things. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has begotten us again to a living hope. It's not just a hope. It's a living hope. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. Where? Where is this inheritance incorruptible and undefiled? It's reserved in heaven for you. So there's a living hope and there's an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and it does not fade away. Where is it? In heaven, reserved for you. There's an inheritance in heaven with your name written on it. It doesn't fade away. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's what God has in store for you for eternity. But when we forget about eternity, we, we're thinking in the year and the now and the tomorrow and next week. And we forget that our time on earth is so short. So listen to the rest of the scripture. In this, you greatly rejoice. In this, in this inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials. What is this little while? What is a little while? Is it a day? Is it a week? Is it a month? Is it a year? Is it 10 years? Is it 50 years? Is it perhaps a whole lifetime on earth in certain situations? Which is still very, very short. It's still a little while compared to eternity, even if it's a whole lifetime on earth. Which means, if we have a revelation of eternity... If we have a revelation of this inheritance that is undefiled, it will help us to be joyful in any circumstance, whether it's a week, whether it's a month, whether it's 10 years, whether it's for a whole life that we're battling with something. Maybe you have a, a child that can't go to a normal school. Maybe you, there's an there's a, there's a, uh, inability or a, something in you or in your family it is, and we trust God for healing. Amen? I mean, we trust God. This is what this whole series is also about. We trust God for heaven to come to earth. We trust God for him to demonstrate his kingdom here in the midst of us. However, even, even if things don't change, there's an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, waiting in heaven for you. And it's for, for eternity, Forever and ever and ever and ever. And it's not fading away. You see, it, it, it helps us. It helps our internal joy to stay strong. If we have a revelation of eternity. I want to read you a story. I'm busy with a book called Control Goal. Really interesting. By Shannon Popkin. A book I can recommend to anyone. Married, single, young, old. It really makes an impression on me. I want to read you a story. It's about a woman that's in a very difficult marriage. A friend of the author. She says, My friend Donna has endured a troubled marriage for many years. Her husband is emotionally abusive, controlling, and condescending. He has isolated Donna by telling people she's crazy. How does that sound? Not great. He consistently breaks promises and manufactures chaos. He belittles, neglects, blames, and invalidates Donna. Donna's husband is very difficult 
to live with. No kidding. <laughs> this is an understatement. After one, at one point, desperate for relief for both herself and her children, Donna filed for divorce. But God blocked her escape and made God's call broken marriage at least clear. Donna admits that years ago she would have been angrily resistant towards anyone, suggesting God might direct his child to remain in a situation like hers. But over the years, Donna's perspective has shifted. She says, I don't see change in my circumstances, but I see changes in me. I wouldn't be nearly as dependent on God if life weren't so hard. I see God as very involved, personal, and loving. Donna knows a marriage will still present hurdles, perhaps thousands of them, but she chooses to be mindful of God who has told her to stay. It's an extreme story, I know, but in this Where she felt God say to her, I want you to return to your marriage, at least for a time. She wouldn't necessarily know what is that time. God, is it for a year? Is it for two years? Is it for five? Is this going to, God told her to do, and she was willing to be obedient to that. So God must have worked a joy set before her. For the joy set before her, she was going to endure. There was something in her that said, I don't want to do this. And I'm sure she got advice from people that she's crazy, you know, to even consider staying. And then she says her, her circumstances didn't change, but she did. And God is so in her situation. And I really believe it's in moments like those where we develop an eternal perspective. You know, and, and maybe some of you have, have situations in your life that it can't be turned around. You know that. It can't change in this life. But there's eternity to look forward to. There's something that is, that is a living hope inside of you that will help you to endure, that will help your joy to stay strong in your kingdom, of God's kingdom, to not only cope but to flourish. And this is like, it's, it's the upside down God's kingdom. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Like Andrew explained, it's, it's the upside-down kingdom. It doesn't make sense. Happiness makes sense. You know? Happiness makes sense in the natural. Something that, that brings peace and joy and, and even, uh, you know, our good works that will prov- uh, um, provide a certain sense of righteousness, those things make sense. The kingdom of God does not make sense, but that is the real deal. And this is what we need to pursue with everything in us. So if you are going through a situation where you feel that your, your, your righteousness, peace, and joy are being attacked, I want to give you hope this morning. You see, when we go through trials, God actually wants to extend the borders of our kingdom. He wants to give you a bigger territory. He wants to give you more authority. He wants to, to extend the borders of your kingdom. And often in, in times of opposition, in times of trials, in times of feeling so overwhelmed and, and you're feeling that you're not coping, it's in those seasons that God wants to extend the borders because there's resistance. That makes sense? I mean, there's, there's something coming against you because God actually wants to give you more influence. He wants to give you a greater authority. He wants to extend the borders of your kingdom. So who, guess who doesn't like that? We have an enemy. 
Okay? There's nothing wrong with you. There's an enemy that's resisting what God wants to do in your life. And if you are actively pursuing God's kingdom, there will be resistance. But if we endure long enough, and if we persist, and if we do not give up, we will come to a place where there's peace, where there's joy, where there's righteousness, and where it's growing stronger every day, every week, every month. And God will give you an authority to overcome. So just before we're going to do something practical to shift our, our internal atmosphere, how do we practically do this? But what will actually work in terms of righteousness, peace, or joy? We need to realize that we have authority. You are a child of the king. You have authority in the kingdom. You're not just a worker somewhere on a field that doesn't even have a contact with a king. You live in the palace. You are royalty. You need to take up your authority. You need to speak and pray against whatever is coming against you. And if you can't do it in your own strength, you ask a friend to stand with you. And you speak, you say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke condemnation. I see it for what it is. I feel terrible, but I am coming against you in the name of Jesus. You have authority. You come against fear. You come against hopelessness. You come against it by praying and by declaring the truth. Because you are royalty. You have authority. Declaring scripture. You know, there were seasons in my life. Printed scripture. On A4 pages, and we put it up in our room. Did it look pretty? No. Did it work with the decor in our room? No, nothing. It wasn't framed. It wasn't pretty. It actually looked funny, okay? <laughs> An interior decorator would have taken it off my wall. But it kept me sane in seasons where there was such an attack against my internal kingdom. I took scripture and that word that came out this morning, it was so of God. I'm so, I'm just so blessed by how the Holy Spirit knows exactly what needs to be said. There's, there's a war for God's word to be living and powerful in our lives. And if you need to print the scripture and put it up your wall and declare it every night, then you do it. I remember adversity when I was writing exams and I felt like this farm girl in the city, you know, that feeling. Okay, no, no, none of you knows that feeling. Okay. I'm like, there's just people and classes, and there's 300 people in a class, I would imagine. I was like, God, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know if I'm going to pass my exams. I don't know if I'm going to ever get through university. Then I would print scripture, and I would put it on my hostel rooms, on the, on the, on the cupboard, until I break free from this intimidation and fear. I print scripture and I declare it. And sometimes this is what we need to do in a season of war. We need to walk in the light. I, I said that in terms of, of our righteousness. We cannot afford to keep quiet if we are battling. The enemy can take you out. If you're isolated, if you're alone, if you're not talking, and if you pretend that everything is fine, but you are actually in a, in a serious internal crisis, you need to speak. Please speak to somebody. You can snap out of it like that if you speak to somebody. There's, there's power in just walking in the light, in just saying to anybody that you trust, I am battling. And then we need to stay in community. 
We need to fight this good fight of faith together. You're not going to make it on your own. I know some people think they can. We see it over and over again. There was a couple in this congregation, beautiful couple. They left for another town a couple of years ago. They, they, they disconnected from church all together. Their lives are in serious, serious danger of falling apart altogether. Their marriage is under attack. Their personal lives are under attack. They disconnected. They never connected to another church. There's nothing wrong with them. There's just an attack against their internal kingdom and there's nobody to help them. There's no accountability. There's no uh, support. There's nothing. And they, their lives are falling apart and my heart breaks for them. And the solution is simple. Get back in community. So please stay with us. Okay? I want to beg you. If you're visiting Good churches in this town. But make sure that you surround yourself with people that can support you, that can help you, that can pray with you, that can carry you through the seasons of war because the seasons of peace will come and then you can be there for somebody else who's going through a season of war. We need to stick together. Amen.